If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, as we look at the judgment that's about to come upon this earth in the time of the tribulation, Lord, we're grieved for the people who will choose to go through that. And we're blessed to know, Lord, that through your mercy and grace, you've provided us all a choice to avoid this. And that choice is your son. Jesus prayed in the garden, if there's any other way, but there was no other way. He is the only way. So, Lord, I pray for this world. I pray for those in this world who are sitting on the fence, those who don't know you. We pray, Lord, that they would come to know you, and Lord, that they would spend eternity with you. We're grateful, Lord, that we have been given that gift of salvation, and Lord, we're grateful for the guarantee of eternal life that each one of us has, and we pray that, Lord, for everyone we know, our family, our friends, our co-workers, we pray that for them, Lord. So go before us here this morning. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we saw that there was an interlude in heaven. There was a, a period, a time out, if you will. And God, it seems, was giving mankind a chance to get their thoughts straight, to get their hearts right with God. And that's the title of the message this morning, which changed this morning. Um, get right with God. What we're going to see happen in this chapter and the next few chapters is God's judgment come upon this world. And it's going to be a rapid succession of judgments like pummeling someone on the ropes in a boxing ring. It's going to be one after another after another. Now before these trumpets of judgment sound, Jesus breaks the seventh seal of the seven-sealed scroll. And when he opens it, there's silence in heaven for half an hour. Now, in previous verses, we had seen the innumerable multitude that stood under the altar, right, worshiping and praising God around his throne. We've seen angels coming and going, the four living creatures. So around the throne of God is a pretty busy, pretty noisy place, wouldn't you agree? So for silence around that throne for half an hour, that would be a deafening silence. And it leads us to consider the fact that, and, and God and the angels are considering the magnitude of what's about to befall the earth. And the prophet, the prophet Habakkuk wrote, but the Lord, is holy, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 20. The prophet Zephaniah wrote, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7. So the Lord's in his holy temple. The people on earth are gathering their thoughts. They've been given a little lull in the action, so they have a chance to think about this, to, to get their hearts right with God. All of heaven is silent 
awaiting God's order to unleash the next judgments, the trumpet judgments. God's in his holy temple. God's considering what he must do. He's considering the judgment that's about to come upon this earth. Judgment for an earth that's rejected continuously time and time and time again, his son Jesus Christ. To a world that has rejected and refused to submit and surrender to him. It's not an easy decision for God. He knows that there's many on earth who will, who have rejected his son and will never surrender to him. And it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. It breaks his heart that people have chosen of their own free will, eternal separation from him when they could have been blessed with an eternity in heaven with him. And it breaks his heart to know that they will remain at enmity with him when they had a choice to be reconciled to him through the cross. Instead, they're going to hear the trumpets. They're going to hear the trumpets of judgment. And that trumpet, or those seven trumpets, are going to be unleashing God's judgment upon an earth that is already perishing. Now in the Bible, the trumpet was used for several different things. One of them was to signal the worship, time for worship. Another one was to signal the fast days. Another was for the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah, which is coming up very shortly. And then another time they used the trumpet is to signal the time for war. In this case, the trumpets will sound for war. God is going to go to war with his enemies. And you have to understand that those who are left on the earth at this time have completely, by now, hardened their hearts to God. They've believed the lie. They've, been, they've chosen, rather, to stand against God rather than for him. And that makes them an enemy of God. Listen, we were all enemies of God before we came to Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Romans that we were at enmity with God, meaning we're enemies of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. The good news is that God made a way for us, didn't he? He made a way for us to be reconciled to him so that we are no longer his enemy. Paul goes on to write, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. So what makes them, these inhabitants of the earth during the tribulation, and what made us enemies with God? Paul tells us what caused this rift between a holy God and sinful man. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. That's a pretty long list, right? I'm sure as I'm reading that, people are checking it off, saying, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. But our sin is what put us at enmity with God. The sin of mankind is what's going to bring judgment upon this world. But Paul also wrote that there's a way to be reconciled to God. He said, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 
So the way we're rec reconciled to God and are no longer his enemy is through Jesus Christ, by being washed by his blood, sanctified as we're continuously, daily, being made into the image of God, the image of Jesus Christ, justified, which I love the definition of that word, just as if you never sinned. Through Jesus, and only through Jesus, are we reconciled to God. We're sanctified, justified, washed clean, and instead of now of being his enemy, we become heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Now, many on the earth at this time during the tribulation have yet to surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. They have yet to be reconciled to God, meaning they are still what? Enemies of God. Now, some, and then Scripture tells us it's a multitude, are now in heaven. They're clothed in white robes. They're holding a palm branch in their hands, signifying the victory that they now have in Jesus Christ. But most, most have not and most will not ever surrender or submit to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now that word in the Greek, that word many in the Greek means most. And what Jesus is saying, that most of the people on the earth, will choose the path to destruction. And what we see here in chapter 8 is four trumpet judgments that will directly affect the earth. In chapter 9, we're going to see two other trumpet judgments that will directly affect mankind. But we also see God's response to the prayers of the saints here in Revelation chapter 8. Remember that prayer? For the saints under the altar, they prayed, How long? Will you will, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So these are the cries of all those who have been martyred for their faith. And that raises a question for us as Christians. Should we, or can we, pray an imprecatory prayer? Now, imprecatory means to evoke judgment against someone or something in order to bring an end to it. So the answer for that is given to us right in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. The saints cry out to God to avenge them. They want judgment brought upon those who put them to death. So we absolutely can pray. We can pray against the evil in this world. We can pray against those who cause evil. But our prayer should always begin with, Lord, please bring this person to salvation. Please bring them to repentance. But if they refuse to surrender, Lord, I pray that you bring them to an end, and an end to their corrupt ways. Now, I'm not suggesting that we pray for harm to fall upon anybody, but rather we pray that an end be brought to them, that they be brought to the end of themselves. And that what they're doing in darkness would be brought into the light, and there would be justice for that. This judgment that comes upon the earth and upon mankind in these next few chapters are a direct result of the saints who asked God, when will you avenge our blood? Now notice these seven angels stand before God. There's another mention of an angel who stood before God, and his name is Gabriel. Luke chapter 1 verse 19 says, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings. 
We also see the angel Gabriel and Daniel bringing Daniel a message about the 70 weeks. And by the way, from Revelation 5 to 19, we are in the 70th week of Daniel. Gabriel stands in the presence of God. So these seven angels are like that. They also stand in the presence of God. And they may be some special messengers of God that either deliver his message in person or through judgment, as we see here in chapter 8. There's only one other angel mentioned in the Bible. Do you know what his name is? Michael. Some believe there's a guy named Raphael, but they get his name from the apocryphal scriptures, so we can't really say one way or the other if he's an angel or not, or he's just one of the four Ninja Turtles. <laughs> but Michael is an archangel, which means he's the leader of the angels. We can also infer from verse 2 that it is God who hands these seven angels their trumpets as they stand in the presence of God as they're handed the trumpets. So with trumpet in hand, the judgments will begin and the wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. Look at verses 3 and 5. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. So another angel. In the Greek, that word another is alos. And it means of the same kind. So this angel is also an angel that stands before God. He's brought to the altar, very possibly the altar where the, all the multitude of saints are, a censer. And it's filled with the prayers of the saints. And he mixes it with incense so that that smoke rises up before God. And that's a powerful reminder to us to never stop praying. To always pray, never cease, because our prayers do reach the ears of God. Listen, if you're praying for God's intervention in the situation that you may be in right now, it's in his perfect timing, according to his perfect will, will that he will intervene for you. And we see that in scripture. We see God intervening for the prayers of, because of the prayers of his people all the time. One of those examples is Exodus chapter 2. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage. And they cried out. They cried for help because of their bondage. The cry of, for help, rather, because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groanings. So their prayers rose up to God. God heard them and God intervened. How did he intervene? He sent Moses to deliver them from their bondage in Egypt. If you remember correctly, God also sent how many plagues upon Egypt? Ten plagues. Some of those judgments, some of those plagues, you're going to see in this chapter this morning. Because this chapter, some of these plagues clearly parallel the plagues in Egypt. Now God has heard the cries of his saints. He's heard the cries of his people who were martyred on this earth. And he's intervened by bringing judgment upon the earth. This angel takes a, this now empty censer, which once contained the prayers of the saints and the incense, and he now fills it with fire from the altar. And he hurls it to the earth. Now, I don't know, and you guys ever play baseball? You know how fast some of those pitches can come in, right? 
And you got to imagine this angel's got a pretty good arm. It had to be a pretty good arm to get it from heaven to earth, right? Some of these guys who throw out pitches can't even reach the mound to the, the plate. But he reaches heaven to earth. And it causes thunder. It causes lightning. And I have to imagine that these are severe thunder and lightning storms. It causes an earthquake. It hits so hard. And I believe this has a twofold purpose. One, it acts as a warning to those on earth that the interlude is over. It's over. Judgment's going to continue just in case people began to think the worst is over. We can go back amongst our lives. Everything's going back to normal. We got a break. Nothing will ever go back to normal. I don't believe anything will ever go back to normal now after this coronavirus. These events are only going to increase with intensity and frequency the time, as the time draws near for Jesus to return. And second, I believe that this happens to get people to now look up. To look up, to know that this judgment comes from heaven. It's not Mother Nature rearing up against earth. It's not global warming. This is a judgment from God. This is from heaven. Look at verses 6 through 7. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So the seven angels prepare themselves for the judgment that's about to be released upon the earth. The fact that they have to prepare themselves gives you a sense of the enormity of what they're about to do. It tells us that they don't take this assignment lightly. They consider the devastation that's going to be brought upon mankind, upon the earth. However, they're going to do exactly as they've been commanded to do because they know that this is God's perfect will for this earth. It's God's per part of God's perfect plan to bring his son to rule and reign on this earth. Amen? So as the angel blows the trumpet, the first of the seven judgments rain down upon the earth. And this judgment is in the form of hail mixed with fire. And that may explain why it appears to John to be mixed with blood. It may have be reddish in tint. But God is able to do anything. He's able to mix fire and ice and hurl it to the earth, obviously. And as the hail hits the earth, it hits a very specific target. The forest and the vegetations and all the green grass of the earth. Now man uses tanks and missiles and bullets when they go to war, but God uses hail. When we were in Job, we read, Have you entered the treasury of snow? Or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? Job chapter 38, verses 22 through 23. This hail that... God questioned Job about that stored up in a storehouse was stored for this very purpose, for this very day. One third of the earth is affected by this. Now, that comes out to be 65,633,333 square miles of the earth. Or North America, South America, Antarctica, and Europe combined. Take a minute and think about the size that that represents. Now, although this judgment is, is not directed at man at this point, it will affect man in a profound way as the grass and the trees are destroyed. Trees and grass, I don't know, what's this, third grade science maybe? 
I probably failed it, but trees and grass take carbon dioxide out of the air. And through a process called what? Science majors? Photosynthesis. There we go. Oxygen is produced, right? So carbon dioxide in, oxygen out. Without the trees, without the grass, or, or a good portion of them gone, temperatures would rise on this earth, and life on this earth would become unsustainable. Just look at the wildfires in California. The destruction that that's caused. I mean, Al showed me a map. Have you seen the map on Facebook of, of the ring all around the state of California of all the fires? The only empty spot on the entire map is not Nevada because they don't have any trees in Nevada. Just desert. Can you imagine now, as you look at that map, can you imagine one-third of the trees and the vegetation on this earth burning at the same time? Can you imagine a third of the earth burned? Can you just imagine North America being burned? Just that area. That's what's going to happen when the first trumpet sounds. Now, for some on this earth, it will be the last sound that they hear. The Bible describes our lives as a vapor. Yet, do you not know what your life will be like tomorrow? You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James chapter 4, verse 14. You know, we take the ages of people when they die, and we, we put them together, and some guy who's good with numbers figures out what the average age of death is for men and women. Men live between 75 and 78 years, and women between 80 and 83 years. That's the life expectancy. And you may think that 75 years, 80 years is a long time, but it really is just a vapor compared to eternity, isn't it? But the point is that people believe they have time. They believe they have time. That's why it's such a shock to us when someone so young dies. People believe they have time. They believe they're going to live out that 70 or 80 years on this earth. But the fact of the matter is no one is guaranteed. No one in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. No one in this room is guaranteed our next breath. The fact that we woke up this morning is a blessing from God, isn't it? People on the earth at the time of the tribulation think they have time. But for some, that sound of the trumpet and the sound of the hail hitting the earth will be the last sound that they ever hear. And the point is, is that the time to make peace with God, the time to get right with God, to know that you know that you know, to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior is now. The time to be reconciled to him is now, while you still have breath in your lungs. Waiting for a more convenient time to do that it may be too late. Allow me to share a story with you of the Chicago fire. I believe it was started by a cow. And how that fire impacted the ministry of one preacher named D.L. Moody. The great fire of Chicago began about 9 p.m. Sunday, October 8th, and lasted until early Tuesday, October 10th, 1871. The rapidly spreading fire killed approximately 300 people and destroyed roughly 3.3 square miles of Chicago, leaving over 100,000 residents homeless. D.L. Moody held his usual service the Sunday evening the fire broke out. At the close of the service, he asked the congregation to evaluate the relationship to Jesus and to return the following week to make a decision. 
This, he thought, would give them time to really think things over, to really consider and count the cost of the decision that they were about to make, because he wanted it to result in a lasting decision. He wanted to make sure that by accepting Jesus Christ, he didn't want to pressure them into it, but rather wanted them to make that decision of their own volition so that it would stick. They'd be committed. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? You can see his heart in that. But while the church was singing the closing hymn, it was drowned out by the sound of fire trucks and church bells. To his dying day, Moody regretted delaying the decision till the following Sunday. Because it would be a Sunday that many at that meeting hall would not live to see. Within a matter of hours, many who sat under Moody's words were dead. And there's no way of knowing how many that night could have gotten their life right with God had an altar call been given. There's no way of knowing how many that night who sat under Moody's voice were not died and were not ready to meet God. Moody would never be the same after that incident. He became ill because the guilt of that night carried with him for the rest of his life. You see, in that story right there, it's a reminder to us to make sure that you're right with God while you have breath in your lungs because no one knows when our last moment on this earth could be. The time to get right with God is while you are still alive, period. Now, for those people, the last sound that they heard was the sound of the rushing fire, the church bells, and the fire trucks. For those on earth at the time of the tribulation, the last sound they may hear is the sound of the trumpet and the hail hitting the earth. For some listening to this message right now, it could be the sound of my voice, and I apologize ahead of time for that. But the point is, nobody knows for sure, do we? No one. If you took your shoe off this morning and looked, you would see an expiration date stamped on the bottom of your foot. Go ahead, I'll wait. You might need a black light to see it. But you don't know. Only God knows when to be that last day for you on this earth. You have no idea. No one knows for sure, so don't wait. Don't think that the tribulation is a second chance for you to get right with God because the last sound you hear may be the last chance you will ever have. And that'll be gone. Because that moment, that last moment might come upon you like a thief. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So this, what looked like a great mountain to John being hurled into the sea, was more likely an asteroid, a giant asteroid. Where's Bruce Willis when you need him? Reminds me of a funny story yesterday. I'm not going to share it with you. One of, one of our brothers watched the movie twice because he couldn't get over the fact that Bruce Willis, who was an oil drigger, wound up on an asteroid drilling a hole. He just couldn't get, he couldn't get past it, so he had to watch the movie twice. So as this asteroid hits the water, because of its makeup, which is iron and nickel, it would turn the water into the appearance of blood red. The impact will kill a third of the sea creatures. The massive tsunamis that this will create will reach almost every shore around the world 
and it will cause destruction the likes of which the world has never known. A third of the ships at sea will be destroyed. Now there's a website called Maritime Traffic and on that website you discover that they keep track of large ships at sea. There's 172,277 ships 65 feet or larger at sea at any given moment. So a third of those ships would be 50, 57,000 ships destroyed. This asteroid would do an enormous amount of damage. And the good news, if there's any good news at all in any of this, is that all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, even then, would be saved. And then God would wipe away every tear from their eyes. Look at verses 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, which is just another word for poison. And many men died from the water because it made, was made bitter. What John sees hurling to earth now are, is a comet or comets. And as the comet enters the Earth's atmosphere, it sheds off radioactive ions, which would then pollute the water and turn them to poison. It would make the water poisonous to drink and would greatly decrease the world's supply of drinkable water, creating a what? A drought. And excuse the pun of biblical proportions. Man could go weeks without food. I can't, but there are some who could. But you can't go more than three days without water. So this would cause a lot of deaths. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these judgments because they are depressing, aren't they? I think we get the picture. These judgments cause mass destruction upon this earth. The world we live in is dying. This earth is dying. It's not going to get a second chance. There's not going to be healing. There's not going to be any rebuilding. This earth is dying. And I know it's hard to imagine. I know it's even hard to understand sometimes why there is such great destruction. But the truth of the matter is that God has given mankind for centuries an opportunity to turn from evil and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But sadly, many have rejected Jesus. And evil in the world has only grown worse. Would everyone agree with that? We're living in a time described by the prophet Isaiah who said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. That's us. This is the generation. We are the people who are calling good evil and evil good. And God who is righteous and just and good cannot allow evil to go unchecked for long. God has said, I will not strive with man forever. God's been merciful. I know he's been merciful in my life. He's given man time and space to repent. But man has become lovers of themselves. God's even demonstrated his greatest act of mercy toward mankind by sending his only begotten son to die for the sins of men. To take the wrath of God for our sin upon himself on that cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved from the wrath of God, so that all who turn to him, all who turn to Jesus, would be reconciled to God, no longer an enemy, but now an heir to the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life in him. Amen? What's hard to imagine, what's hard to understand is why there's so many who refuse God's mercy and grace. Why there's so many who refuse to turn to Jesus Christ. Listen, many will never, ever turn to God. They will never ask for forgiveness. Instead, they've created a system that puts them in control. They strive to become their own God, controlling their own destiny. The point is, is in the tribulation, we see not only destruction come upon the earth and many who continue to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior perish, but we also see a multitude of people saved from every tribe, nation, and tongue, don't we? And all those who are left in the end will be those who will never surrender to God, no matter what, no matter what. And the ironic part of this is they will surrender to an antichrist. They will submit to him, but they will refuse to surrender to the Christ, Jesus. Look at verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So in the midst of all this destruction upon the earth, the lights go out. It's dark. It's difficult to see anything around you. Maybe the only light you see is the lights from the fires. This darkness is like the darkness that enveloped Egypt. It was a darkness that was so dark, so thick, you could feel it. Listen, no matter how dark it is in your life, no matter how bleak things seem to be, right? No matter how dark it gets in this world, if you have the light of Jesus shining in you, there's no amount of darkness that could ever overcome you. John wrote in his first letter, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We may have darkness around us, and we see it all around us, don't we? But if you have Jesus, you have his light shining in you. And that light will never go out as long as you are on this earth. Look at verse 13. We'll finish up. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe! Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels who were about to sound. Now in certain translations like the NASB and the Orthodox Jewish Bible, that word is translated eagle. How many of your translations say an eagle flew? Now the reason some of them say eagle and some say angel is because those ain't that ancient Greek words for eagle and angel are very, very similar. And since our version this morning that we just read from says angel, we're going to say it's an angel. But please take note of what this angel is doing. He's warning the inhabitants of the earth, the earth dwellers, those who have made this earth their home. Heaven's not their home. Those who've made this earth their home. That's who we're talking about. And this angel warns them, warns them about the wrath of God. That's going to get worse. That's going to be poured out upon mankind. And yes, it is scary. It is scary to read this, isn't it? It's scary for those. It's going to be even scarier for those who go through it. But God's warned us. He's warned us time and time and time and time and time again. The very fact that you're holding the book of Revelation in your hand and God's revealed the end of the world in this book 
is a revelation of God in and of itself, isn't it? It's a warning in and of itself. This is what's going to happen. God takes no pleasure in this, believe me. The silence in heaven shows how difficult the decision this is for God. He wants none to perish. Now, I read these verses last week, but they bear repeating. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Peter wrote, For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter, Peter rather, 3.9 Paul wrote to Timothy, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2-4 through And last, but certainly not least, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to consider this as we witness the destruction that's coming upon the world in Revelation during the tribulation. In many ways, the book of Job also parallels the book of Revelation. In Job, God used the tragedy in Job's life to do what? Remember? Draw him closer. Draw Job closer to God. In the end, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Job 42, verse 5. Job had a knowledge of who God is. He knew God. And through all he went through, Job then developed a personal relationship with God. You know, in the beginning of the book, we read that Job sacrificed regularly for his children in case they sinned, right? This is something Job did all the time. And perhaps Job was just going through the motions of a believer, but never really having an intimate relationship with God. Job did the right thing in a world where everyone else was doing the wrong thing. But listen, listen. Being a good person and doing the right thing means little if you're just going through the motions. What matters most of all, what matters at all, is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Being a good person and doing the right thing means nothing if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God uses the tragedy in Job's life to draw Job closer to him because that's God's ultimate desire for all of us, that we draw closer to him, no matter what that takes. God's using the tragedy that will befall this earth to draw the inhabitants of this earth closer to him, so that they turn from their evil and turn to him. And God's been steadily, over the centuries, trying to get our attention, hasn't he? There's been earthquakes. There's been hurricanes. There's been tornadoes. There's been tsunamis. There's been loss of property. There's been loss of life. But sadly, for many, that has not gotten their attention, has it? They say, we'll rise above this. We'll rebuild. We're stronger than this. But when they see the earth being destroyed right before their very eyes, and they know, they know in their hearts that there is no coming back from this. There is no rebuilding. And they do not have strength as they stand before the God of heaven. Hopefully at that point, they will draw close to God. They will turn from their sin and turn to him. 
Jesus said before the, the crucifixion, he said, Father, if there's any other way. If there's any other way. Jesus is the only way. God wanted for there to be another way. God didn't want mankind to rebel in the garden. He wanted man to trust him. He wanted man to trust in God and not take control for themselves. But God knew what man would do. He knew that we would rebel. He knew that we would turn away from him. But he also knew that over the centuries, multitudes would repent and turn to him. And that they would submit and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. And for their sakes, for our sakes, God has allowed the wheat to grow among the tares. Well, this time of judgment that we're looking at in Revelation right now is the time when God is separating the wheat from the tares. Believers are wheat and non-believers are tares. Which one are you this morning? Or maybe you've just been going through the motion of being a Christian. Listen, in the times that we live in, it's no time to be a casual Christian. I can assure you of that. Some of our brothers and sisters right here in the good old United States of America are facing jail for their faith. So to say today that you would follow Jesus no matter what, that you would go to jail for Jesus, count the cost of what you're saying. Purpose in your heart. Know that you know what you're saying when you say that. Because the time to purpose in your heart that you will follow Jesus no matter what is now. Not when they're coming through the door. Not when they're putting the handcuffs on you. It's now. Count the cost. Considering what following Jesus no matter what means to you. Because God may be using all of this, what's going on in the world right now, to get your attention. To show you where your faith is weak. To prepare your faith to be tested. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm encouraging you. I'm pleading with you as a body of Christ. That's my responsibility. One day I will stand before the Lord and he's going to ask me, why did you not prepare the body of Christ that I entrusted you with for what was to come? I'm preparing you. We have talked, and there's guys in this room this morning who have heard me say this at men's group, ad nauseum. We have talked for years about what it may cost us one day to call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. That day is here. One of the brothers asked yesterday, what will we do when what's happening in California comes this way? Listen, it's already here in some ways. And it could get worse, and it very well may get worse. So ask yourself that question right now. What would I do if it cost me my freedom my job, my family, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Purpose in your heart now as to how you would handle that. And like I said, it's not a conviction. I'm not convicting you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just preparing you. I'm not trying to scare you. Just trying to prepare you. Because if there's breaches there, if there's openings there, if there's gaps there in your faith, now is the time to pray, to seek the Lord, to have that shored up and maybe the Lord as I said is using this time this situation that's going on right now for you to get stronger in your faith for your faith to be shored up for a time that may be coming right around the corner where your faith will be tested 
And the first steps to being prepared is to make sure that you've submitted your life to our Lord Jesus Christ. Even if you've been a casual Christian all these years, even if you've backslidden or, or just haven't been walking with the Lord, if you've just been going through the motions, the time to make your life right with the Lord is now, today. Not tomorrow, not next week sometime, not a year from now, because that may be too late. The time to make sure that you have a relationship with the risen Christ is right now, and it is as easy as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner, which is the A in our ABCs. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not one. 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means there's no amount of good works that any of us could do that's going to make us right with God. We cannot work our way into heaven. When Jesus said, I am the only way, it means that he's the only way. If we could have worked our way into heaven, there would have been no need for Jesus to die on that cross. Amen? And God, who is holy and sinless, cannot even look upon sin. So how could we ever enter sin as a sinner or with sin upon us? And the answer to that is obviously we can't. But that's why the good news, that's why the gospel is called the good news, because God provided a way. Jesus said, if there was any other way, and God said, no, son, you are the only way. He provided a way for us. If we turn to him and submit to him and surrender to him as our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. And our sins, past, present, and future, will be forgiven. You'll be justified, just as if you never did it. And so that brings us to the B of the ABCs. Believe with all your heart that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he died for your sins, that he rose again on the third day and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Believe that with all your heart. Romans chapter 10 verses 10 through 11 tells us, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will what? Be saved. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You will never regret the decision that you make to follow Jesus Christ, to commit your life to him. So once you admit you're a sinner, you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus and call upon his name, and that's the C. Call upon the name of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, please don't ever feel that anything you've ever done puts you out of the reach of God. That you've done something or many things that God can't forgive you for. There's nothing you've done that God cannot forgive you for except to die in your sins. Anything else can be forgiven. Just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And please remember that unless you are reconciled to Christ, unless you are reconciled to God through Christ, rather, you are still an enmity with God. You are still an enemy of God. And Paul gave us good news about that. He told us how we can be reconciled. That yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Listen, there's an argument right there for the pre-tribulation rapture, isn't it? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved by the wrath of God through Jesus. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So if you surrender your life to Jesus today, if you submit to him as Lord and Savior, 
you will be washed by his blood, sanctified as you are made into his image each and every day, and justified just as if you never did it. And through Jesus Christ, if you make that decision today, you will be reconciled to God, no longer at enmity with God, no longer at war with him, but now an heir to the kingdom of heaven. And if that's what you want, if that's the desire of your heart, if that's what you want with all your heart, but you're not certain how to put that in words, then I'm going to ask you to just bow your head this morning, both here and on the Internet, on Facebook, and pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I realize that I am a sinner, that I can never reach heaven by anything that I do on my own. I can never reach heaven by my own good works. I don't want to be at enmity with you, but reconciled to you. So right now, Lord, right now, I pray that you would forgive me as I place my faith in Jesus Christ and I submit to him and surrender to him. I understand that he is the only way. That is the only way that I can enter heaven is through Jesus Christ. Please forgive me of my sin and help me to live my life for you. Fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, if I have been just going through the motions, if I have drifted away from you, I pray, Lord, that you would bring me back to you, that I would turn from that, whatever I've gotten into, Lord, whatever's taken me away from you, and find my way back to you. I pray, Lord, for your forgiveness, and I pray, Lord, for your strength now to be committed and submitted, no matter what that means, to follow you all the days of my life. So go before us now here this morning. Go before me, Lord, as I submit my life to you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, if you meant it with all your heart, then welcome to the kingdom of heaven. And as I always say, I'll either see you one day here or in the air. Amen. God bless you guys.